Welcome to the 159th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher. We're recording this on the Tuesday evening after Arsenal lost to Manchester City at the Etihad. The club's first game after the international break will see them face Spurs at home on a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Fortunately, this month I am slightly better prepared, so I have the panel introductions scripted in front of me. However, with much to discuss, I will keep them extremely brief. But with a nod to the 1989 Arsenal side, with reasons that will become clear later on. So first up, it's Mr Dependable, a long-term Guna stalwart. It can only be our version of David O'Leary. It's good evening to the founder and former editor of the Guna, Mr Mike Francis. Good evening. And next up, a young man full of self-belief with no fear of ever missing the target... So he's our Mickey Thomas this evening. Hello to regular Guna contributor, Mr. Simon Rose. Hello. And last, but by no means least, with a nod to the amount of alcohol consumed pre-1996 by the legendary Arsenal captain, it's our Tony Adams. If only because he could drink any of us under the table, it's a warm welcome to the hybrid spy himself, Mr. Steve Ashford. Good evening. Gentlemen, now... um, We're going to do a bit of nostalgia later on, but we've got to face realities here. Um... We lost to Man City, uh, hardly a great surprise last weekend. Uh, we're 12 points behind the leaders of the Premier League after 11 matches. Looks like the title may be out of reach. And yet, we are only four points behind second place. Now, um, I don't know, it's glass half full, glass half empty. How are you feeling about the season, Simon? I think it's fair to say that City are very very good going forward they're very efficient uh, and really them and Spurs score for most of their chances they break away fast on the goal and they shoot uh, when we break away we do so slowly going sideways and I think that's a, a key difference between us and the sorts of sides above us that we're trying to aspire to be the equals of I think that I wrote a piece in the current Guna about the early results and the early defeats being red herrings in that press went absolutely crazy about the results as if it meant an immediate crisis for Arsenal but in a way to me we lost the games we tend to lose anyway Liverpool away we tend to lose Stoke away we've often lost um, obviously since then Watford is, is different in that way um, we had won matches at home we'd normally win over the course of a season so I wasn't especially concerned by some of the early defeats uh, I think since that point We've, we've done okay, we, we know the problems in our team, they aren't necessarily new, they haven't necessarily gone away, there's the same old concerns off the pitch that are kind of rumbling in the background that are a little bit uh, sort of dulled down now since, you know, compared to last season. And I think we're kind of having the season we maybe expected, uh, with a few surprises here and there, that Sanchez hasn't played as much maybe as we thought, hasn't scored many goals, 
um, and people can't decide what they think of various players. Pretty much what we expected, I think. So, on that level, would you say you're disappointed? I don't. I, I can't decide if I am or, or I'm not. I think, like you said, you could you could look at how things have gone and think it's been rubbish. We're in a terrible state. The AGMs are nonsense. The the, the board uh, is meaningless. Why don't they bring people in? And yet, actually, like you said, in terms of points uh, and points, are the thing that matters until the very, very final table of the season, we're actually close to second. I know for many people it's a case of we've got to win the league or what the hell's going on, but really, that is very hard in any given season. City are obviously currently in wonderful form. We're not in anything like that form, but we're close towards the top, and that's okay for now. Mike, are you looking forward to the North London derby? I always look forward to the North London derby, um, because I just love the passion that it brings out in fans on both sides, to be quite honest. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that you get Arsenal fans getting, getting too wound up at games um, in, against the opposition. It's normally normally if they're going to get wound up against about anything, it's their own team. So I'm looking forward to it from that point of view, um, but, what are you uh, but with some trepidation exactly. as to what might happen. Exactly. But then I think you know that's that's been every North London derby in my supporting lifetime. Mm. You always fear the worst mm. and hope for the best, and mm. I'll probably go into that game much the same. Mm, okay. Are you enjoying Manchester City's football, Steve? Uh, no, I'm enjoying Manchester City's football in as much as it's pleasing on the eye. I hope someone takes them down soon. My overriding concern about this season is that they're going to equal our Invincibles record. Mm. <coughs> they're going to go the whole season unbeaten. And after 13, 14 years, our record's going to be beaten. It, we, it took us 100 years to take Preston's Invincible record and equal it I'll be a bit upset if someone does that so soon after we did it but there's so much money at City they're run by a, a state as everyone says um, so much money they bought brilliant players they got probably the best manager in the world um, you, you have to admire them but at the same time you look at them with a bit of envy and also come on let's just hope that someone gives them a real thrashing quite soon OK well on, on that um, <coughs> idea of the manager and how it compares with Arson. We'll, I'm going to read out Lee Dixon's quote from uh, BBC Five Live uh, last night. Um, regards Arsenal, I honestly think they're unfixable under Arson. What he's got there is he's created an environment which the players don't really know what they're doing without the ball. They do it now and again, they did it against Chelsea, they got it right against Chelsea in the Cup Final and in the league, and you think, wow, they're back. And then they fail again like they did against Watford and then you see them trying to press Man City one of the best passing sides in the league how is that allowed to happen if you're not a pressing side then you have to press for months and years at a time in order to get it right it's really difficult it's not just a case of you all rush to the ball there has to be triggers you need to know when to press which is just as hard as knowing when not to press if you're a pressing side because sometimes you have to unpress if you like and just sit where you are. Just running willy-nilly at the ball is a disaster, especially against City. Now, the reason I read that out, because Guardiola has had one season at Manchester City. So Lee Dixon talks about needing to do it for a long time. Um, I'm not aware that City were a pressing side under Pellegrini. So he's got them at it quite quickly. He's got them organised. He's micromanaging the team. You can see that. Um, 
what, why, why isn't Arsenal doing the same thing? We um, can't press teams with the club with the players we've got. So he has we've got the wrong personnel. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Do you remember? I but said, City have so many attacking players. Well, well not just, they, they have, but they've got they've got Fernandinho in midfield, Fernando. Um, they've got defenders, fullbacks that are much more all-rounders than what our players are, and they're prepared to put a shift in. The problem with Arsenal is half of our players don't put a shift in. I said to you well, soon after we signed Zaka, not sure about him. I don't think he's going to be a runner. Mm. I think he's going to coast through games. And 18 months later, he's still coasting through games. Mm. He never sprints. Never. You can't imagine pressing a team with Zaka in it. Ramsey's not a pressing player. Um, I How did we manage against Chelsea? Sanchez presses How did we manage against Chelsea? Well, we, we, had, we, we had Welbeck, Iwobi, Mustafi. Different personnel. Ramsey was in that team that day. Okay. Like, granted, Zaka was in it, but I don't think Chelsea were anywhere near the same class as Man City, although they're the champions. Um, and I just don't think we're set up to, to press teams with, with, the, with the personnel we've got. On Saturday, we played Coquelin in the back four. He would have been an ideal presser in the midfield, but... I mean, what was he even doing on the pitch? Cockerman? So he was at, he was in the back five. In yeah. Place. What was he? I um, mean, was he was he definitely defending all the time, or did he come out sometimes? No, he, he was he was the the third man. He was he oh. played. I mean, he might have strolled out a couple of times, but he's hardly going to be Beckenbauer, is he? So was yeah, not going to press. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so Cockerham so, was an interesting one, though, wasn't yeah. he? It was like you know the, the, when they named the the, the team uh, an hour before, everyone assumed oh, well, we've gone four four two and, and are flooding the midfield a little bit more. And he lined up at the back, and I'm like, you know, I'm, and my default position is normally to go, what the hell have we done now? So I was desperately trying to sort of trying to put a positive spin on it. It was from a Wenger's point of view, and go, oh, I was quite quite smart actually, you know, plop, name him in the squad. They they go, God, they're going to play full full two. They have to change their tactics, and then when they run out on the pitch, he's playing at the back, and I was like, oh, it gives him flexibility to change the formation mid term. But I think I was just fooling myself as much as anyone trying to think like that just, yeah. why would you play a player that hadn't started a Premier League game in against that, Man uh, City in a, in a position that, that he's as far as I know has never played there's some key but, differences between Arsenal and City in that City have a, a sense of excitement they've got a new manager it's Guardiola he's got a fantastic reputation from recent years that his reputation is fresh Wenger's isn't uh, they have a colossal turnover of players they just I mean, they went and spent God knows how much just on fullbacks this summer. Menzi and Walker and Danilo from Real Madrid, they probably spent more on those three than we spent in our whole summer and possibly the summer before. So they have pace and abundance in that team and they break their full pelt. You've got Sterling on one wing, you've got Sané on the other. Uh, De Bruyne is, is quick, but also quick in his mind, not just in his feet, he releases the ball quickly. All these things that we don't do. If but hang on, hang on, I'm going to stop you right there. I accept that City has spent a lot of money. Did Arsenal spend a lot of money to build the Invincibles team? Different, different ball game. Different type of money. In those, in, those in, those, in those days, there were there were no Abramovich's, there were no Sheikh Mansour's, there was no. My point. My point mm, is, there was, do there you, do you, can you get those players that can do that <coughs> job without having to spend silly money? You probably can, but can you compete with PSG, Man City? Um, Chelsea, they, they can just spend billions without even blinking. It's why you Let's have to unearth yeah. um, quality players that aren't necessarily that well known yet or ha- haven't necessarily been spotted. Because if you go for a player that others know about, the, the fee is ridiculous. Just say, for example, 
Arsenal thought Demarai Gray at Leicester was a great player to go for. They could have got him saying the summer, been a bit sort of sheepish about it. We quite like the player, um, you know, and spent twelve million on him or something. When actually someone elsewhere of a similar nature, who maybe had a bigger name reputation, might have been fifty million. So I, th- I think, yeah, I know. Obviously, people say too that Arsenal. It's not as if we don't have money. It's not as if we couldn't spend more and also sign lots of players. But there's a massive turnover at City, and therefore that partly creates a need for their players to really perform because they, they will be replaced. We don't have that fear. Our players don't have that fear. I, I used to say to people when um, so United were great and Leeds wanted to try and you know, win things that if United went six, five games playing great and then played poorly, Giggs would get, would, would get heckled by the crowd. Whereas, say, Harry Kewell could play five nothing games, play one decent game, and he was lauded. And I think for Arsenal it's slightly similar in that our players could have various games in a row that are, are neither here nor there and there's no, there's no repercussion. There's not many people to come in to replace them who are better. Therefore, there's no fear on their place. And, and failure is, is acceptable because mm. you don't lose out for it. But don't you know, saying our, one of our biggest games of the season, we leave our £50 million striker on the bench. Yeah. Mm. Like, so many ways to read for, for the second time that? this season. And that's just crazy. That's what Simon it? was saying, like Giroud, got one league goal all season. And when, you know, when we leave Lacazette out or we leave Sanchez out, Giroud is the go-to replacement striker. One goal in 12, 13, 14 matches, and he hasn't impressed in the, in the Carabao Cup or UEFA Cup, apart from that goal at Red Star Belgrade. He doesn't look like a quality striker at the moment, and yet he's our reserve striker. City, they could pick from four world class strikers. Mm. We've got 32 year old Giroud. Well, yeah, I mean, you say that with City, actually, they've probably only got two out and out strikers, haven't they? Yeah. And when Aguero damaged his ribs, they were. They were Wrapping Jesus in cotton wool because yeah, that would have been a bit of a disaster for them. Mm. You know, that's they wanted Sterling playing mm. up front for us. It's also season. easy to look at a team in really good form and think, well, this is it. Everyone should aspire to that. And we know last season they won their first six league games, didn't win the league. Um, they look amazing, unstoppable right now. But it's only right now. It's eleven games. You know, Steve was saying before, oh, you know, I'm worried they're going to go invincible. Well, that's that's another twenty-seven games. There's so many things that get in the way. They're on, the, they're on the combinations of matches. Yeah, the combinations of matches and time matters so much. It's nearly half of the Invincibles record. Do you think that um, Guardiola's style of micromanaging during the game from the touchline has genuine impact? Yeah, I do. Actually, yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, what I miss a hell of a lot about Arsenal is you look at all the other teams that we play, or most of them, and they've got a, a manager on the touchline goading the players on. You know, kind of kicking every ball with the players. Mm. It's almost like the twelfth man. Mm. Our twelfth man sitting there trying to do his zip up. <laughs> but the thing is, if you're winning, whatever yeah. the manager does looks, you know, messianic. If if your manager's doing nothing, it's like, oh yeah, it's quite quite assured. He knows what he's doing. The players don't need to be told what to do. It's all good. And then the team don't, don't aren't winning. It's like, why are they doing something? And similarly, you know, Guardiola is getting involved in everything. We don't know what impact directly his comments are having on the players, whether or not that's actually affecting what happens on the pitch adversely or otherwise. Whereas Conte at Chelsea is also all over everything, mm. yet when they're not getting such great results, he looks a bit ridiculous for it. Mm. Mm. Good point. But they, get, they, but they get more good results than they get bad ones, and they have less bad results than we do. So I would I'd rather go down that route than have a guy that just sits on his arse all day long. 
Okay, I'm going to I'm going to go to um, the questions contributors uh, by our our Twitter following and uh, one by email. So I've I've put these into themes just to get through them all because we did get quite a lot um, for this uh, podcast. So many thanks for those. Um, I'm going to start off. I've got the, the, the got them into headings. This one's under the heading Wenger. Um, Mark Holmes. I'm going to read all three questions and then we'll dissect them. Mark Holmes. How bad would it have to get for Arsenal to go? Players don't look they are tr- look like they are trying hard enough, and Ozil and Alexis appear disinterested. Our old friend Stuart Preston. He he tweets. If we don't do more to get Wenger replaced, are we not part of the problem? And in a similar theme, Jonathan Houseman, another regular uh, contributor, uh, tweets, Can season ticket holders do anything to force change in the dugout? An organised effort to totally boycott a certain match? Question mark. So, um, all on the theme of Arsenal departing. Um, let's, let me collect them together and say, do you think if the crowd did get on Arsenal's back at home matches if the home stadium turned on the manager do you think that would be enough to um, actually foreshorten his stay no because when we were all seeing about Stan Kroenke in the Everton game get out of our club virtually everyone in the stand was singing it Walsh off the duck's back yeah, yeah, well, that's because he's not even there I know, I know. Like the word must have got back to him well, he's, he's not really worried about that he's not for the last 10 games of last season, possibly even more than that, there was demonstrations against Wenger. There was demonstrations outside the stadium and there was some he, chanting at he some would away have been games. Aware, he was aware that 78% of the AST didn't want him to sign a new contract. He was aware in the press, online, everywhere that Arsenal fans did not want him to sign a new contract. They wanted him to go. He, he doesn't care about what the fans think. I mean, he signed a new contract but and he's, he's still in. He might and not think, care. He I might not think, care, but ultimately... Does his position become untenable in terms of his theoretical superiors? Okay. If, if, yeah. if you had, yeah. if you had sixty thousand people in the stadium, let's ignore the yeah. away fans, and they all turned, or 80, 70, 80 percent turned, and like really, you know, really got on his back, yeah. you know, like the like the couple of thousand do when yeah. when when something else goes pear shaped, yeah. then yeah, I do think I do think it would put significant pressure on him, and he probably would maybe get a message, but. That is not going to happen because one, it's rare that we get sixty thousand in the crowd, and two, we certainly don't get sixty thousand people who are going to do that. Mm. Because we, whether whether we like to admit it or not, there is still plenty of people. You've got your tourist element who are just there for a day out taking selfies. You've got you've got plenty of people who are just there, quite happy to have Wenger there, and and then you've got people who probably like me. I'll hold my hands up and go. I'm probably not going to change anything. I'm just sitting there and so are we I'll, I'll suffer the, the occasion. Are we part yeah, of the problem? Absolutely. Part and, of the problem and Stuart, mm. Mr. Preston, mm. I'm, I'm name checking, you know, he's done the right thing in many things. He's boycotted it. Mm. He's stopped going to games. He's been, I don't know, a couple of times in the last three years just to bring his son along mm. and introduce him to it. Put the, the killer word out here, Kev. We, really. It, that, that's a misnomer in this because 60,000 people is not a single entity it's just 60,000 disparate people who may or may not on their own decide to sing or chant or boo or swear anything you know it's like at games even just Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal hardly anyone gets involved lots of people just sit there looking or chat about telly last night and happen to miss a goal or something 
So the idea that we, on, on mass, could collectively do anything is, is quite limited. I think Wenger's got such a thick skin as well. I mean, I think he would, he would, he would take it to heart for that one match. <clears throat> the next match, you know, we might go and win, and then he'd say, "Oh, they all love me again now." I mean, we haven't signed one Arsene Wenger for ten, fifteen years. Oh, come off it! Uh, when was the last time we signed one, <laughs> oh, one Arsene Wenger? Yeah. It would have been the occasion last, last season. season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, probably the cup final. Yeah, Normally, like, when there's yeah. a demonstration no, against him outside. Know, <laughs> I mean, if you think you realise I don't see my name anymore. Maybe they want me out. I think to your just water off the ducks back. We're stuck with him forever. But to your question, though, Kev, really, if you had certainly a, a, a sizable and audible quantity of people at home games singing something simple, let's face it, it's not going to be complicated. Wenger out, or we want Wenger out. Mm. If 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 it was sufficient and lasted enough of the game that the media got on it and were banging on about it in phone-ins and on TV programmes in the papers that it became a real obvious thing. And then with the next home game, it just starts from the beginning, even if we haven't even started playing yet, or we're actually playing quite well, and it just carries on, carries on. It might, in the, in, in, in the end, get to Wenger enough, but I think only if there is already in place some idea that he's going to go, say, at the end of the season. If he knows here and now, halfway th- through the first season of a two-year deal, that he is staying for two years, I think it makes zero difference. And I think also the idea it makes a difference to Cronky, to me, it's a bit like if you, if you flick a lighter in London, it doesn't start a fire in, no. in Cincinnati. It's not going to have any sort of effect if there's anger here. Because I think, you know, what we saw with, with the AGM is that everything really other than what Cronky decides to do, it's just, it's just sort of background noise. So, all right, I'm going to combine a couple of questions here. The one from Mark Holmes asked is, how bad would it have to get for Arsenal to go? Do we think if Arsenal finish outside the top four and are not in the following season's Champions League, at the end of this season, there is any chance that his contract would be terminated? No. 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 I think it depends how far outside the top four you are. Right, OK. I mean, um, we weren't in top four last year. OK, we won the FA Cup. Mm. You know, and yeah, but two seasons in a row. I'd, so, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I think we'd have to be a long way out of the top four. Right, OK. I would, yeah, I so, so that I, mean, I was listening to Talk Sport on Sunday morning. This gives me an idea of how other fans think. Mm. And an Arsenal fan phoned up about the Man City game and said, oh, you know, I'm really dreading it. We're going to get thrashed. Um, we should have got a new manager last year. You know, the whole club's in turmoil. You know, we, oh, we, woe is us, you know. I mean, the two presenters both said, what do you mean, woe is you? You won the FA Cup three times out of the last four years. You've been in the Champions League 21 out of the last two years. You always finish in the top four, apart from last year. You always finish above your local rivals. You're one point above Spurs. What are you moaning about? Mm. That's, the, that's the theory that everyone thinks. Right. Okay, I'm just going to leap down to Simon Albert's question. Is Arsene Wenger's end-of-season review referred to by the man himself at the AGM? Just more bollocks to appease the doubters. Um, why would he have said that? Why would he have said that he his position would be reviewed of the season? It was not. It was not comment, wasn't it? It kind of stood out as being very un-Arson like. I mean, he's come out with the judge me and May thing plenty of times. Or I'm not sure he has actually, but we'll, we'll tend to think he has, even if he hasn't. Um, we well, said in October and disappears. Yeah, in May. It, it, it kind of, it kind of, kind of, it's, it's kind of similar to that. I do, yeah. I do wonder whether it was just something to appease people. To, mm. You know, he's, he's clearly aware that there was a, a high percentage of people that weren't um, exactly in favour of a new contract, and maybe that uh, there, there was a question um, at the AGM 
I'm trying to think who it was. It wasn't yours, was it, Kev, about the, the targets and that? Was it Phil's? Uh, it was Phil's. Yeah. Um, Phil's. About <coughs> targets and what are the repercussions of not hitting the target and when is it with And we were told he does have you targets. He does have targets. You yeah. can tell that he's aware of the fan unrest because the first thing he says at the, at the AGM when he does his speech, first thing he says is, trust me, guys. Every year he says this. Trust me, guys. I suffer every defeat with the same pain that you do. Fixed hand, and probably yeah. you inflicts them on yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> he knows yeah. how to play the crowd. It ruins my it? weekend exactly the same as it does yours because he wants a sympathy vote from us. It was significant though yeah. at this AGM when he got up to speak for the first time I'm ever aware there was not a round of applause before he spoke. Oh. And normally there is. Was he introduced this year? Yes, he was. Huge round of, huge round of applause afterwards. Though. Yes, well, he placated the. Uh, but he, he. Whatever you think of him, he's a good speaker, isn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah. But also, <laughs> I think for him to say, oh, well, you know, I'll be reviewed at the end of the season, that is the kind of the Cantona esque throwing the side into the trawler kind of moment of, or you, you kind of would like, a lot of you would prefer that I go, so I might go. Mm. It's, it's sort of giving you like a bit of a bit of a strand that things might get better. Mm. But also, I think that. For all the ire there is towards Wenger, and I think towards the end of last season that turned more on, on, on Kroenke, a lot of people felt, and you guys obviously were there, that, that the AGM showed not only how removed Kroenke is from everything else, but also just how much, although pe- people want Wenger to go, is he the glue that holds it together? How much worse would this be if somebody else was involved rather than him who doesn't have the sort of Arsenal backbone, if you like, that he has, that if he went, who there, uh, if a new guy comes in, has much Arsenal knowledge or know-how about them? What is Arsenal knowledge or know-how? What is this backbone of which you speak? What is it? Well, the last 20-odd years, and let's face it, you could work out the the, the sort of percentage of how many, you know, how much of Arsenal's existence has been managed by Arsene Wenger. I mean, he's, he's he's an incredible thread through our... The win ratio as well. I mean, you say you say about the, I mean, to back Simon up, the win ratio with Wenger is is massive. I mean, as I just said earlier, we finished in the top four for 21 yes. years. Okay. So, so he's got there's a glass ceiling. He's here. got that Mike, to fall back. What you're going to say? I was just going to say, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. it, it, you know, you, you're falling. I think some you're falling into the trap of people going, "We didn't exist before Arsene Wenger arrived." You know, it's that's not about that. It's more the know, fact that hundreds of years are still there, are they? Yeah, no, I, I get, I get what you're saying, but you know, there, there, there was still a hell of a lot of history that went before Arsene, and like, you know, whilst he had a wonderful first ten years and he's delivered three FA Cups in the last in the last um, four years, you know, I just can't accept. You know, Jose Mourinho is hardly filled with Man United backbone, is he? You know, just because Alex Ferguson's moved on doesn't mean there's not a future without Arsenal. Absolutely. No, but, no, but I, that's I what, think that's he should have gone last summer. Simon's saying... But what else is there is there? It, is the one saving grace with, with Arsene Wenger. And, 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 he, and his ridiculous team selections, the slaverish kind of like devotion to Kroenke, never spending any money in transfer windows. The one thing that you have to say about him is that he's one of us. Yes, but all right, here's another idea I'm going to throw at you, OK? The way a modern football club operates, okay, it has people in the structure which mean it is not totally dependent on the first team coach to move forward. So, for example, if you look at Bayern Munich, you've got a group of, uh, some of them are former players, or some of them aren't, but they've been around a long time. They have a structure in which the coach of the first team comes in to do a job. 
normally for three seasons, two seasons in case in Angelotti's case, whatever. You know, but basically the place doesn't collapse because they fire the manager. The worry well, amongst the Chelsea a few times. Now, hang on. Have che- Chelsea have a structure? Yeah. The, 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 they, the, the manager is, is a very prime example of a club that can interchange managers without affecting the bigger picture. Mm. Okay? Which is basically they've got someone in charge of football strategy mm. who puts all these players out in all these other clubs. And he's now just left. Well, okay, but they'll replace <laughs> the guy. Oh, no. They've got the system in there. Yeah. They can slot in people. Yeah. What, what the problem is at Arsenal, as far as I can see is that you've got one man controlling everything and making all the decisions and all the policy and, and all the strategy. And what so what happens well, is... That's, that's my point. Yeah. Without now, him, yeah. what else holds it up is like the one beam that's holding yeah. the ceiling up. Yeah. But you can't change while he's there. Because no one is going to yeah, be prepared not. to come in and start filling the roles that he's talking about. That because that, because Wenger would, 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 would just... Roll, you know, so I'm not not taking directions from you. You're, you're listening to but me. We also have to question. He replaced by four other beams... They might not all get on with each other, they might fall out with players, the whole house might fall down. Well, there's, there's obviously no friction at Arsenal right now, because <laughs> there's no arguments, because basically everyone shuts their mouth. Yeah. There's no challenge when things are going wrong I mean, even, from anybody. Even at Chelsea, they won the title last year, they've got the so-called best manager, you know, one of the best managers in Conte. You can't go a day without picking a paper up. Oh, so-and-so's fallen out with him, another player's fallen out with him, the technical director's left, is, is, all the players is, hate him. I'm going to give you an example of friction in a team. Yeah. Teddy Sheringham and Andy Cole yeah. couldn't stand each other's guts, yeah. managed to win the treble. True. Is friction a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, if Chelsea don't win the, the league this year, maybe it is. It's competitive you friction. Could, you could argue you had yeah. friction the year after Mourinho won the yeah. title. Yeah. And yeah, they finished 10th. But then what yeah. did they do? They won the league the following season. Yeah. yeah. You know, so maybe it's a fine line. Friction can make things happen and it can, it can blow yeah. them apart. Yeah. yeah. There's Zen on the Arsenal dugout, and there's also Zen in the stand here, mm. Steve, as mm. you well know. <laughs> I don't I'm get not, annoyed by any of this I'm, anymore. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I mean, I won't figure out as much, as much as anyone, but, you know... Um, well, let's talk about another couple of other potential departees, more likely, let's face it, because I've got another subsection here, titled Ozil and Sanchez. So we've got, um, I'll read two of these questions. One of them from um, a guy called It's My Arsenal Opinion, uh, Twitter handle, at Arsenal, Divi Brizgy. Yeah, he's got a website as well. Yeah, well, anyway, him. Uh, he's, he asked, does the panel believe the team would actually be better off if Alexis and Ozil were ostracised from the group ahead of their departures? And Zuluvik on Twitter says, when we know what Sanchez and Ozil are capable of, why is it that in successive games their performance is not consistent. So um, it is comes down to the Ozil and Sanchez question. Neither of them started at Stamford Bridge. Both started at the Etihad. Um, would we have been better leaving the pair of them on the bench at Man City? Do we think that they should be starting games? Do we actually think there is this big divide that is perceived I've gone off Sanchez this season I know he did it last year in, 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 in places this year every home game the minute the game finishes he makes sure he's right over by the tunnel and then the minute the referee blows the whistle he's down that tunnel oh he's done that every game since I know. he joined us yeah but all the other 10 players are all out there waving to the fans going around 
maybe this year because you know that he, he's definitely got the hump it's annoying me more because I suppose when he was playing well and scoring 30 goals a year you can accept it this year he's got one goal and I, I really don't like him doing that I mean I'd rather just, just go if you're going to do that the whole thing is massively awkward because let's face it in, in, in an, any other normal context you'd check do, do you want to stay or go and if it's not clear they want to stay you, give, you, you have a, a very short deadline of right let's sell them abroad let's see let's gauge the interest ok it's not going to happen if there's a deal that they're not happy with ok if the only deal is Man City then ok whatever just sell them there because you look at City's team there's no certainty he'd play there every week I don't think it's necessarily clear he will come back to haunt us players come and go the world is full of footballers sell them get the best money you can and buy other people and move on and instead now we're left with two players who don't really want to be there and it's perfectly realistic and likely that there's, there's rifts because players who give enough of uh, a care about how they play and how we do as a club and have a, a future um, sort of look forward to the next few seasons will be thinking, well we want this to work out well you don't really care if this game works out well or not I don't see how they would put in a massive amount of effort in the games and whereas you had the game at Everton where I thought they both played really well Sanchez and Ozil at City once it was kind of going wrong there, you know, there's one clip I think on TV of Ozil mouthing off at someone who was mm. mouthing off at him mm. I just thought yeah, it doesn't look good it doesn't look like these are people who want to win who are annoyed they're not winning they just looked annoyed with each other and that is not conducive to a team effort yeah okay. I agree totally I agree totally and it's obvious that Aaron Ramsey is a player who does feel, feel for Arsenal his future's with Arsenal you know, he, he, his I contract's mean, up. Despite what you say in about twenty nineteen, but despite what you say about Ramsey, he gives his all, and he's loyal. And you know, it's obvious that Sanchez and Ramsey hate each other, probably because Ramsey, Ramsey's given him a few bollockings. Right. You, know, you know, pull your finger out, and Sanchez is not going to be told off by Ramsey. Mm. And the, the pair hate each other. Okay, I'd rather, I'd rather lose Sanchez than Ramsey. Right, Mike. Ooh, interesting. I'd. I'd I think it's difficult with Sanchez. I mean, I think Sanchez, I think his work rate is still pretty good. Um, he, he, had a, he had a shocking game against Man City, you know. But I think if you look at his um, possession statistics over the, over the time he's been with us, he gives the ball away a lot. Mm. He's always done that. I think it's just now you're focusing on that, and especially against Man City and all the rumours that there were. Well, there weren't rumours, let's face it. You know, that he, that's where he wanted to go. Um, I kind, I kind of have a, a little bit of sympathy towards the club for what happened in the summer, and you know, and I, I know Gazidis talks about it at the AGM and the, the Van Persie. You know, they were absolutely slaughtered, and rightly so, for selling Van Persie to Man, Man United four years ago, four or five years ago. You know, and, he, and they felt that the same thing might happen if they sold Sanchez to Man City. Um, and I take your point, Simon. They, you maybe not as wouldn't be integral part of Man City's team as, as Van Persie was at Man United. But I kind of go, well, yeah, I'd probably have made the same decision just to keep him to hell with it. I don't think he's the type of player that, that would just turn, turn, not turn up. Um, I wouldn't. I'd have sold him both. Erzil, um, on the other hand, fantastic player, immensely skillful, doesn't turn up in the big games. And yeah, you know, I, I was so pleased when he didn't play against Chelsea. I thought we got a chance now. Mm. And I was disappointed when I thought he was in the starting lineup against Man mm. City. So the idea, though, that maybe Arsenal thought, well, we sold Van Persie, everyone kicked off so well, we better not do that again, otherwise people go crazy, let's, let's keep them and show that we're not a selling club. Well, that can then buys into the idea that they're bothered about 
fans' reaction to things that they do, and I'm not so convinced that they are. If they're thick-skinned about the manager and about the owner and about, I don't know, ticket prices and all sorts of things, would they really think, well, we should probably sell these guys, but fans won't like it, so let's not do it. I don't, I don't think that comes yeah, into it. That's fair I think, again, very <laughs> early on in the summer, there was talk, whether it's true or not, that Bayern Munich had put a very good offer for Sanchez and, and quite a lot of money to pay him, not necessarily as big a fee as we might have wanted. I'm hypothesising here, I think it might have been about 30, 35 million. And the, the talk at the time was that it wasn't enough money for Sanchez. He wasn't getting enough wages. And I looked at that and I thought, if you think you're hanging on for a better deal from somewhere else, are you going to get a better club than Bayern Munich? Bayern Munich, who are going to win the league in their own country, unless something goes terribly wrong, and who can really, really properly challenge for the Champions League. Man City can win the Premier League, and they're just playing at winning the Champions League. They think they could do it, but they don't believe or know they can do it. And there's a difference there. If you really want to win the big things, you have to believe that you are the best. Otherwise, you will fall short. So at me at the time, I thought, take the deal from Bayern Munich. Cut whatever your demands are. It's hardly as if they're going to pay you £8.20 a week. They'll pay you a massive amount of money. Go to Bayern Munich. It's a great deal. And it's good for us. It saves our face. We're selling you abroad. There's no Man City-esque repercussions. And to me at the time, I thought, it's a shame that he didn't go for it and we didn't help to make it happen because that would have solved that. Ozil, hard, hard, hard to say, I know you said at times, Kevin, on Twitter, that who appears to want Ozil? don't appear to be that many suitors for him. If he comes to the end of the season and he isn't going to stay, where's he end up going to end up going? Is he going to go to a club you think, oh, he's well, joined, joined them on a free, or you think, well, he's gone to them? The story is we might sell him to Man United in January, uh, whether or not there's any truth. But I read a story saying that they can't afford his wages, or they won't pay his wages. Right, OK. Well, let's just hypoth- hypothetically say that they came to some agreement. Do you think United would get more out of Ozil than Arsenal did? Did Mourinho get more out of him at Real Madrid? Did they they did win a title. Yeah. I, yeah. I, just, I, I don't see Ozil as a Mourinho type of player no, at all. No. You know, Mourinho wants, he, he likes having the players, but he wants work, right? And he's not and a sixth at all either. either see, I, I don't think he got that out of him at Real Madrid, to be quite honest. I just think Real Madrid were the force that they were. You know, they play like Man City. They've continuously mm. got possession, so he, he, he looks a lot better player. If, if you want him to run around and get possession back, he ain't your man. No, no. Who's going to want to buy him and who can pay his wages? My thought, my thought is the Premier League isn't really his, his league yeah, in that respect. I mean, I, in Spain, yeah, perhaps, he had a little more... Yeah, a bit of time. He might go to Germany, I suppose, might he? Mm. Could go to Germany. It's been a lot of talk to go to Turkey. Yeah. But would he want to go to Turkey? Well, he wouldn't get the wages. In the peak of his career? He wouldn't get the wages. Unless he's did. moving on a free transfer. They've got to sign him. Van Persie got the wages. Well, he'll he get, went to he'll get the transfer fee. Um, I know he's Turkish, but does he want to win the Turkish league? Is that the pinnacle of his career? Well, it's cultural, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, no, he, he is know. basically Turkish background. If I was Erzul, I would, I would steer clear of Turkey. I'd go somewhere a bit more prestigious. Hmm. OK. All right, well, let's, um, let's go on to the AGM. Um, or well, let's look at the board and the makeup of the board because there was quite a controversial question at the end of the AGM from a lady, from a, from a certain gentleman not sitting too far. Uh, from well, that wasn't relevant to this question, although I did ask one. Uh, I think I made my point yeah. very well. Um, yeah. Sadly, that wasn't recorded for YouTube. But you were the one, uh, you, you were the one that um, started that threw the seed into Chips Keswick's brain. <laughs> there, 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 there yeah, was no, yeah. there was, it wasn't a complete coincidence. 
instance that Kev had the seat next to the microphone <laughs> oh, no. so that when there are questions from the floor are answered you Kev, say, Kev was already there you say you do you not that you haven't got time for questions well then why don't you start half an hour earlier next year that was basically my point thank you for the statement Mr. <laughs> if they did they just end half an hour early as well <laughs> anyway a lady asked about the makeup of the board and um, a suggestion on Twitter from a Mr. Lancaster uh, suggests some non-executives to be voted onto the board. Um, I'm not an expert on company law, but non-executives presumably don't vote or something. I don't know. But anyway, his his suggestions are Lee Dixon, Kelly Smith, and Bob Wilson. All would serve a purpose and be a good step. Now let's look at the Arsenal board. We've got they're not all octogenarians, okay? But Ken Fryer is no spring chicken. Sir Chips and Lord Harris are not young. Stan Kroenke, uh, obviously... 70s, mid-70s. I think he's 70, maybe. No, he's older than that. Is he? Mid-70s. Okay, so you've got two young youngsters on there, Gazidis and Josh Kroenke. Um, things are going to have to change. Um, let's examine this possibility that Mark Overbars might be joining as a director of football. Let's examine this possibility that the Barcelona transfer fixer, Raul Sanlehi, and I don't know how the hell that's pronounced, but anyway, that's the guy, um, might be coming to Arsenal. He's a very good friend of Gazidis, so he would be an Gazidis man, um, but he would not be micromanaged by Arsenal if he did come. Um... These are people who are on the boards at their respective clubs, Ajax and Barcelona. Mm. They, are, they are apparently directors yeah, of the league. democratic boards, OK. Yes, my, board my point it? is, yeah. if those people came, they would join the board. Would, would that be the start of the revolution in no. terms of a club's approach? No, not in the slightest. It doesn't matter who's on the board. All the time that Cronky's there, they, haven't got, they can't do a thing. I mean, no, but isn't, isn't, the, isn't the Cronky thing? Cronky has a special relationship with Wenger. If you it's been, a one-on-one yeah. thing yeah. between the two guys. An yeah. agreement. Yeah. Arsene butters Stan up. Yeah. Arsene probably chats about vineyards in Italy and the kind of crap that Cronky wants to know yeah. about because yeah. Arsene is a smoocher. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Once you get Arsene out of the picture, Cronky just becomes. A background non-interfering owner. The only well, interfering, how do you know that? How do you know the only interfering he does now do you know is to keep the manager on. He might have some guy in the in the major league in America who fails miserably every year that he might think, oh, I have him in at Arsenal. And you might have all these young guys from Barcelona. You might have all these young guys from Barcelona. You could have Kelly Smith. You could have Brian Marwood. You could have whoever you want on the board. Yeah. You know, um, Bob Wilson, whoever. If Keswick says, oh, I want that guy from um, the, the, the Los, Los Angeles Timbers or whatever, or the Colorado Rafters, as their Steve, next manager... you are now no. officially <laughs> no. in wind-up no. mode. I'm just and I'm not taking something. your statement credibly. No. I'm moving Cron- on. If Cronky says, that's what I want, you could have fucking Father Christmas right. on the board. Cronky keeps Wenger in his position. Yes, yeah. he doesn't yeah. choose the next manager. So, so, what, so let me. So what That's Arsenal's job. So, what happens if Wenger leaves <laughs> and Gazidis and this guy from Barcelona and Kelly Smith and Bob Wilson and all these new board appointees say to Cronky, we don't really think that's a good idea? Cronky's going to say, well, like Aster and Wenger, my, my, what I say goes. 
Well, time will Mark's tell. I will yeah. only say Just this, like Steve. Yeah. I will only say this. Yeah. Last season, when it was not certain whether or not Arsenal was going to stick around, Arsenal chatted to managers. They were yeah. sounding people out, as yeah. they did in 2014, mm. when they had uh, conversations with Antonio Conte about coming to the club. Conte left Juventus in the summer of 2014. He took the Italy job. If Wenger had not won the FA Cup, if he'd gone out in the semi-final against Wigan especially, we would have had a new manager. Yeah. It would have been someone the club were talking to. It might have even been Conti. So the idea... It might have been Billy Bean. Right, OK. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I've even forgotten my question there. Uh, right, the make-up of the board. Um, is it... I mean, basically, do you think these guys are going to arrive? Do you believe it? No. I th- well, if they do arrive, what are they going to do? Yeah, well, I think, I think that's the thing. I think, I think the concern has always been is like there's no one on the board at the moment that, that is capable of making a decision that I would trust to, to uh, replace Wenger anyway. So I think we do need somebody there. Who it is, I'm not sure. You know, Mark Overmars seems to have a good reputation. Um, he's obviously got an Arsenal connection, albeit a fairly fleeting one. Um, doesn't do him any harm. <sighs> he knows the world game. I wouldn't I object think, to I that. I think the overmask when, thing is to do with development of youth. Yeah, you see, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's what it's what he's done at Ajax. So it's maybe more the Barcelona guy that you know is the fixer. But would it? Okay, how big a difference would it make? I don't know. Is the answer, I suppose. Yeah, I think the key thing is you. I mean, it'd be wonderful. I'm sure most Arsenal fans think it'd be great if we had, uh, you know, legends, figureheads, you know, from Arsenal's playing uh, past. On the board, in the types of names you mentioned, great Bob Wilson, Kelly Smith, Lee Dixon has been mooted, and almost uh, any number of people would be, be wonderful to have on the board, and they could spread beyond the kind of old white board to, to embrace uh, the full range of people. But you wouldn't want them to be patsies, you wouldn't want it for them that they're just there as sort of a bit of PR to the fans. You'd want it for them to be meaningful, and they'd actually feel it would be meaningful. Because at any time, they would be there to really connect between the business side and, and the fans and bring the fans a bit sort of closer. If those people, like, say, Bob Wilson was somewhere and was being talked to by fans, you wouldn't want him to feel a bit sort of embarrassed at what he's supposed to be, his role's supposed to be, and it doesn't really amount to anything. I think it's, it, this is all possible and meaningful if and when Wenger goes in that the structure changes and that people could have uh, a meaningful impact. And like you're saying, Kev, if Kronke's current relationship is essentially with Wenger... Does he then become someone who isn't just in America and who has conversations with Wenger and comes to some games, but he just becomes somebody who's in America? And really he leaves the other stuff to Gazidis with the coach of the day. Uh, that structure may well change. And then those different people on the board would actually be meaningful rather than just figureheads. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That would be the ideal scenario, wouldn't it? Mm. OK. Um, I'll just briefly mention a question from Steve Hawkridge. Do recent comments of the club's CEO about brand reveal Stan's vision for the club and where football in this country is heading generally? Um, I will, I'm not sure really how we can answer Did that. Did we mention brand? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> Did we mention brand there, okay. Yeah. Yes. Can, I, can I just have my, my little personal... I'll limit you to 60 seconds. 60 seconds, right, okay. This is the, this is the Mike Parry 60 second rant, as on TalkSport Saturday yes, morning. Right, we're, we're a traditional <laughs> club. At the FA Cup final, we had that big banner up, history, tradition, class. Every single away match, we do our best to erode that history, tradition, class by wearing meaningless and stupid kits that make us look like Nottingham Forest 
Blackpool, Bayern Munich away, who, who no one knows of Bayern Munich, or any other meaningless team. When we go away to Manchester City and Watford and Everton and, and teams that don't have a colour clash with us, we should wear red and white. The red and white of Arsenal. No way should we, wear, we should we be wearing stupid kits that every other club wears just so that we can sell more of them and, and develop the brand. The brand is Arsenal FC. We wear red and white. We do not wear fucking black, pink, blue and any other fucking colour under the sun. We wear red and white. We only wear those colours when there's a kick clash. End of round. Thank you very much for that. I agree. That's and actually the one thing that's happened, Matt, is if it's all about brands. I find it utterly unbelievable that in this era where clubs have got shirt sleeve sponsors, and Everton quite beautifully have Angry Birds, which pretty much sums up half their crowd, um, that our kind of shirt sleeve and naming rights stuff was sort of rolled into the, the kit or stadium deal for nothing. Yeah, what the hell was that all about? quality commercial. How could we get nothing out of these things? How much did Earth and Man United get in per season for to have their training kit sponsored by Arsenal's something Arsenal's like commercial um, clout is a long way behind even equivalent. Well, clout. I wouldn't mind a sponsor. Well, I, 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 I disagree with that. I'd say our commercial clout is still up there with some of those clubs. The fact is, though, that we tie ourselves in for stupidly long deals, mm. and the, the picture changes, and then we're out of the loop. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll catch up, and we'll probably when 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 it comes up, we'll probably get a very good deal. Maybe not Man, Man United esque, probably not Man City esque now, but, but I reckon we'll be with, alongside yeah. Chelsea. But the problem is, is Chelsea have had it for three years. When those cycles we change, and we get our next deal, and we think, okay, now we're up there, we have got parity with the others. The others then, when they do their deals, absolutely knock ours out out the ground. You think. Oh, actually, it wasn't that great a deal. Yeah. Well, and Chelsea, Chelsea even took the step they bought themselves more, out of the more deal, than didn't once. They? they did, yeah. more than once. Because you know, the, the increase, the incremental increase was such... You thought that Arsenal would sort of treat that as a bit sort of, you know, unethical. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't do that because we're have history and tradition. Would you wear an Adidas kit for more money or would you wear a decent kit for less money? Because I personally well, have Adidas kits. How do you define kits. decent? No, they're subjective. Adidas kits. It, Adidas kit is not a football club kit. It's an Adidas kit. Oh, right. A Puma kit is an Arsenal kit. A Nike kit is an Arsenal kit. What? An Adidas kit is what? an Adidas kit. H- whose kit did we wear when we won the uh, league in '91? Uh, Adidas. Adidas. Okay. And, and, <laughs> and the reason I say that is because those three stripes dominate everything. Yeah, well, that's their trademark. I don't want. I don't want to be an Adidas kit. Right. Well, you'll be an Emirates hoarding, won't I you? I don't mind that, but I just don't want to be an I don't, I don't, I don't want to All right, I've now got a subsection entitled Decline. I'm going to read out four contributions, and we'll see whether or not we feel like talking okay. about them. Um, from Dennis, aside from... Oh, his, his Twitter handle is at Batty's Tutor, which is very witty. Aside from the thought of the manager leaving in, in a couple of years, what gives you hope about this football club? Mr. Lancaster asks, although hard to predict, is there anything to look forward to in the next 10 years? I fear that we are going down the road of Newcastle. Anthony Glenn asks, there is an alarming drift happening at the club. Does anyone have any optimism that this can be halted and how it will be achieved? And finally, Jonathan Houseman, each club has a direction they want to go in, promotion, Europe, etc. When a club has no direction, what is the point? 
Shall we all commit suicide? Oh, or is, is, is there anything we need to add to that? This, We've this, asked this, this That's all more depressed than I am. Exactly. That's incredible. Uh, I, I, guys? I do feel bad so when, I, when I hear people say that kind of stuff because that is, that is a window on people who really do feel there is no Hope. future. Yes. Oh. Present or future. This is the alley we've been taken but down. Do, 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 do you realise that we, we're actually stuck in this cycle of gloom and doom and yes. backwardness? Well, it's an expectation, isn't it? It's sausages and caviar. And, and you know, just drifting away like and sausages. drifting down. You know, <laughs> we said earlier, we're only four points off second spot. That we're light years away in reality. Mm. You know, I mean, I mean, and I wrote the fanzine last year. We've got more in common with Charlton than we have Man City right. because of Cronky and the way that he runs the club. Right. And the negativity of the fans, it's on a level with Charlton. You know, you, there's no positivity around this club at all. You talk about expectations. It's all seen, it's, it's, it's how we're perceived by the public and by the media in that Tottenham are perceived to be in a much better position than we are and Liverpool are still talked up to win the league every, every single summer. And yet... Spurs haven't won anything. What won one thing in the last decade or so? They haven't won the FA Cup, which they were famed for since '91. They haven't won the league since obviously the year dot. Liverpool haven't won the league since 1990. They won every single year when I was growing up. I thought nobody else won it. They haven't won it since 1990. They've only won one thing in the last decade or so. Yet they're seen in a favourable light, and yet Arsenal have won the FA Cup three times in four years, which to most clubs would be you know success beyond their dreams. And yet it's sort of like patted away like it's like it's meaningless yeah it isn't meaningless it might not be quite as meaningful as some people would like yeah. it might not be really challenging for the league but we're not we're not in the absolute depths of despair no. we just have a, a bizarre balance going on you wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe this this time but I'm a negative person but with <laughs> some positivity when it comes to Arsenal I, I think most fans are suicidal Yes, well, I think it is all a matter of perspective when all's said and done. And it is also the divine right of any football supporter to have a bloody good moan, and I think a lot yeah. of us do that. So we'll find something to moan about even when the going is good. I'm now going to move on, thankfully, to a Fortunately, my we have our memories. Finally, <laughs> finally, <laughs> nice my last subsection, nostalgia. Um... I'm going to start with one from Alan Thompson. With the printed Guna coming to an end, do any of the panel remember buying copies from Sports Pages London? And on a similar vein, when did you stop buying the official programme? Um, so, yeah, I remember going to Sports Pages. Mike, the first issue was only sold in first Sports Pages. first issue was only in Sports Pages, contrary to a, top, a, a conversation I saw on Twitter while I was away, so mm, I, I didn't get involved in. But, um, yeah, no, the first issue was only available in Sports Pages because I was too much of a chicken to stand on the streets and sell it. Oh, well, you, you, you managed to pluck up the courage and make the schooner the Eventually, success yeah. story I, it is. I used to work in the West End in the t at the time, and I used to go in Sports Pages at lunchtime, and not only did I buy Arsenal fanzines, I used to buy other mm. teams' fanzines as well. Mm. I've still got boxes at home. Mansfield Town. Didn't have mobile phone in those not days, so you just read fanzines. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that note, uh, the Guna has been nominated for the Fanzine of the Year in the Football Supporters Federation Awards. I can now declare that we won't win it. However, we're going along for a good old uh, feed on the night. So, uh, Do you know that for a fact? I, I just have a feeling, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, John oh, Wayne, he never won an Oscar or anything. You're as bad as the fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I am. Anyway, um, more pertinent, there is a new film coming out uh, celebrating a particular event. I'm going to now tell people who don't want to know the ending, this is a spoiler alert, stop playing this recording Go now. Go out the room. Basically, 
Arsenal won the league. Okay, so this is a question from Mark Holmes. 89, the movie is coming out soon. How many of the panel were there, and what are their memories of that night and days after? Oh, so I was the only one there out of the three of us. I was in Spain, Mike. You were in Liverpool. Yeah, no, I was was in Liverpool. I missed the first ten minutes because of the problems on the M6 getting up there. But, yeah, no, I was one of the lucky ones. Lucky... There was at least 40,000 Arsenal fans in the ground, from what I know. And it, you, you bought your ticket before the game had been rearranged? Yes, yeah. Mm. 40,000? True. Well, there was. <laughs> if, if you speak to people, yeah, there was at least yeah, 40,000 yeah, Arsenal yeah. fans. Trivia question for you. Well, I'll reveal the answer at the end, so it gives you time to think about it. What was the date of the original game? Okay. Good um, Because I've they, got the ticket, which has got that on it. Because mm. they didn't reissue the tickets. It was just they were, they were valid yeah, for the yeah, second game. yeah. Um, but yeah, know. I was there. I missed the first ten minutes, uh, so I didn't didn't see the Steve Bold header that just grazed the bar, which was on the tenth minute. Mm-hmm. Um, until I watched the game back on getting home on the Saturday morning. Did you travel up in it with any real hope, Mike? <sighs> I don't know. I, I think I did, um, which probably is because I was young and naive. And if I did it now, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't be the same. But yeah. I was on Travel Club Coach 18, yeah. which I took to be a lucky omen because it was 18 years since we'd last won the league. Um, ah. And and as uh, I may have told on this podcast before, um, I sneaked a Liverpool fan into the Arsenal into the ground. Why? And so the girl that I worked Just with, and uh, she was a Liverpool fan. Um, you had a spare ticket? No, no, I bought her a ticket for the original game. Oh. I, 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 Said to her at one point, said, you know, she'd never, she was a typical Liverpool fan, never been to Anfield. So we'd, we'd sort of been told and say, oh, you can't come with me to the Arsenal game, the original scheduled game. I'd got her, couldn't get her a ticket in the Liverpool end, so I'd got an Arsenal one. Always thought, oh, we'd probably be able to swap it on the day of the original game. Um, and uh, didn't, but yeah, she chose to come along anyway. So she oh. was a Liverpool fan. And the, the story goes is we were right at the back of the Arsenal section terrace. Uh, when Richardson had his injury in the 90th minute or 89th minute with McMahon prancing around the pitch throwing one finger at everyone and uh, I was like well you know we've come close we've done well you know I was probably the David Pleat you know divine divine justice and she was going there'll be injury time added on for this injury Mm. so it's not over yet the rest of the history we we had the opposite side of the Anfield road end Yes, yes, it's what we are now. Yeah, yeah, we're the opposite side. So you can see the Arsenal fans in that corner. So you watched it on TV or in the pub? I watched it in a pub in the Caledonian Road with Tony Madden, Mm -hmm. Aiden, and all those Tony Madden crew, uh, and a few other people. And I I remember sitting down at a table watching it on a little TV in the corner Mm. because in those days, one telly (laughs) wasn't wasn't quite black and white, but it might as well have been. I think it was a 24 inch and in those days that was a big TV um, sitting up there straight I remember I had my big old glasses on big 1980s glasses struggling to see it and I remember when Thomas scored the winner yes. everyone else went absolutely loopy the tables went up beer went everywhere I mean people just couldn't believe it and I remember I sat there I wanted to see the, the two come up on the screen you didn't believe it <laughs> before I celebrated didn't believe it yeah I wouldn't celebrate until I saw the two come up on the screen because yeah. I just thought he's going to disallow it yeah he has Something, to disallow something's it. happened yeah he's not going to allow that why they're Anfield <laughs> you know 20, two minutes into injury time he's not going to allow that that's going to be disallowed and when I saw the two come up then I joined in <laughs> incredible okay Simon I watched it at home with mum dad and sister and, um, how old were you at the time uh, yeah. next stuff. Uh, you young, can say under young, 16 younger younger 
Um, but <laughs> but um, after Liverpool that week beat West Ham 5-1, mm. which meant West Ham had gone down, and it was clear we had to win by, by two clear goals, I, I thought we could do it. And at the time, we were very positive that we could do it. I re- recall at the start of that season, in Match Magazine, I think it was, or 90 Minutes Magazine, Emin Hughes was a columnist in the magazine. He praised all the teams at the start of the season. And what he said about Arsenal was, on the lines of, lack what it takes to win games in the last minute. Mm. Literally, is what he said. Mm. And that week, I was confident we could do it. And on the day of the game, um, obviously, we got to half-time, got the goal. When Michael Thomas went through in the middle of the second half, and you're thinking, oh my God, this is, this is it. And he didn't score. We were absolutely mental at him. And we literally killed him from, you know, 200 miles away in London. Um, and it came towards the end of the game and Richardson was, was on the ground. I remember saying to my dad, we were all just standing up at this point. I said to my dad, I wonder who's going to get the winning goal. And he just turned around and looked at me as if I said something utterly ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't have any words to say. And of course, when, when Thomas went through, it was just that moment. When Dixon puts the ball forward and, and Smith knocks it through to Thomas, and there was, I don't, we can't recall which Liverpool player it was, someone was there that could have blocked it at source from Thomas. It just kind of went behind him, and you knew it was on for Thomas to go away with it. So you knew something was possible. That the last chance we were going to get, something was possible. And he kept going, you're thinking, hit it. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. hit it. Oh, yeah. Don't wait. He was a laconic sort of player. Just hit it. And you saw people descending he leaves it on so him. Late, didn't yeah, it? and in your mind's eye, you were seeing the, the red sock coming in, knocking the ball away. Mm. And as soon as you saw the ball just emerge behind Robelar, that split second, I thought, won the league. And I think, I, for me, I've always looked back on that match and felt that everyone obviously talks about the nature of the last minute goal by Thomas. But I look back on that season in games where we won, but added the late goal that didn't change anything about the result. Yes. Which was fundamental yeah. to that outcome. Yes. And even yeah. just well, and I always look back to the game at home against Middlesbrough when Rowcastle jinx around and scores a late minute, th- a, a late third, so we win three 0 rather than two 0 Made absolutely no difference on the day. Two 0 three 0 doesn't matter. Towards the end of the season, Derby at home losing two 0 and a Saran Smith gets a goal with his two one rather than two 0 Doesn't matter. We lost the game. What a mess. But without those goals, we'd have had to run 3 0 or 4 0. And, and at that point, when you knew that was what was needed after the West Ham game, you would have known there's no way we're going to go there and win 3 0. But although 2 0 might sound a bit unlikely to have believed in, I just thought, what if we score first and they don't get a goal back? Then if it's late in the game, you have the chance to get two. It's not as implausible as it sounds. I think on the Tuesday, bef- on, the, what, on the Monday or the Tuesday before the Friday, West Ham played. Sorry, Liverpool played away at West Ham. Mm. No, and they. It was, it was the week before. Was it, it, the was, week it was before. the week before because there was an English the FA Cup final. final. The FA Cup final took place the yeah. weekend before. Yeah. Um, I remember Liverpool won five one. The Liverpool Arsenal game. Yeah, and Liverpool beat Everton in the FA Cup final. Yeah, and then they played. West so they Ham played West Ham before in the midweek before that's that yeah, that's so it. it was about 10 days before oh, okay. the Arsenal game yeah, yeah, they, they won 5-1 they won 5-1 they won 5-1 yeah. with, with two late goals yes and it was all goal difference the other they, thing they, 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 well, I mean the, the people obviously realise because they've seen the stats and stuff but as, as, as uh, Simon was alluding to just then that our two home games before Anfield were Wimbledon and Derby we mm. drew one and lost the other mm. if we'd have won both of them we'd have been champions well no, before Anfield no no if we'd won both of them, yeah. Liverpool. Liverpool could still have won the league just by winning that last game. Mm. Right. 
Because I, I looked at it. We'd have been three yeah. points ahead of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, so, so, in fact, nights. it didn't yeah. really matter but on one level dropping those points. The draw would have been good enough. Yes, Arsenal would have won the league with a draw. Right, so anyway, gentlemen, I've got to wrap it up there because we've actually gone over our hour. And I will just do the wrap-up, which is time for a quick plug for the current issue of the Guna. Uh, it's traditional, which can be bought outside the ground at the Spurs game or online if you wish to order it through the store section of the Guna website. Uh, the next issue will be released for the Huddersfield midweek evening game. Uh, I think we'll do the calendar for the first issue in the new year, which will be Chelsea. Uh, subscriptions are also available if you want details of the content of the issues just click on the issue cover on the right side of our website's homepage onlineguna.com there is some potential hope for the future of the Guna I know we've more or less said this is our final season but there may be a way we're able to continue I will give full details in the next issue but the long and short of it is that those guys who buy it currently on match days from our sellers um, a good number of you will need to commit in advance to get it through the post via subscription for us to guarantee continuing. So we'll give you full details of that. But we we think we've found a way which we can keep going. So uh, keep an eye on the website and the issue. You'll get the details there. Um, as usual, a reminder that you can contact us regarding anything to do with the podcast via Twitter at Guna Podcast and email Podcast at gmail.com thank you very much for the questions and topics submitted for today I think I mentioned everybody uh, with that it is goodbye from Mike goodbye farewell Simon goodbye and Steve adios and we will be back with the next edition in December until then this is your host Kevin Witcher saying goodbye and thanks for listening la di da di da la di da di di All good friends and jolly good company. Way!